Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Sower Sows the Word. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn to Mark, the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter of the book of Mark. Start with verse 14. This is the explanation of the parable that Jesus spoke over in the first part of this chapter. And this is his own interpretation of it. If you'll back up to verse 13, he was answering a disciple's question about, he said, why do you speak unto them in parables? Well, let's back up to verse 11. Amen. There's nothing like starting in the middle of something. In verse 11, he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. A lot of Christians have this turned around exactly the opposite direction. They think that when you get to be a Christian that it's religious and it's a good thing to sit there and say, well, we just can't know the things of God. They're higher and far, far above and beyond us. But this is saying that to those who know the Lord Jesus, it is given unto us to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. You aren't supposed to be ignorant concerning the things of God. The Bible says that out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. It gives you a command. It says, Wherefore, be not ignorant, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And there's so many people that just write it off and say, We can't know the will of the Lord. How can we know these things? And I tell you, there's a lot of people today that just feel like that that is really a good spiritual attitude to be in. But it's not. Because how are you going to know if you've prayed according to the will of God? And the scripture says over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, that this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. So that's what we're supposed to be entering into is a position to where when you pray, you know that God hears you. Why? Because you've prayed according to his will. Well, you can know the will of the Lord. Right here is the will of the Lord. And if you'll get that scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, it's a command. Wherefore, be not ignorant, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's a command. God's not going to command you to do something that you can't do. Amen? So don't be ignorant tonight. Some people think that ignorance is bliss, but it's not. Ignorance will kill you. It really will. Ignorance of God's word will kill you. And so the Lord is telling his people right here, he says, this doesn't have to be closed to you, this parable of the sower. He says, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom. That means that you and I, brothers and sisters, those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and are born again, God has given you a special endowment to be able to understand this. Don't take the word of God and say, well, I just can't understand the things of God. You can understand the things of God. It says out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, that God hath given us an unction. We have an, received an unction from the Holy One, and we know all things. Do y'all believe the Bible? The Bible says that you have an unction. That means a special anointing or endowment from the Holy One, and you know all things. So praise God, there is no reason for us to be claiming that we just can't know the things of God. I have a special anointing from the Holy One, and I know all things, and so do you. And so we can stand on that tonight, and we can receive this. Don't go to confessing you don't know something. Go to confessing what God's Word has to say about you, and I promise you God will speak to you, and God will reveal His Word. Amen? And then he goes on to say in verse 13, he said, Unto them know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? Which what he's saying right there is that this is the key to all of them. 
In other words, all of the parables on the kingdom, this is a key to it. If you can't understand the principles and the symbolism that's used in this parable, then you can't understand any of them. But, on the other hand, if you can understand this parable, then you can understand all of them. Amen? So this is really important. This is something that the Lord ministered this to me many, many, many years ago, and it's something that he still ministers to me just on a regular basis. Because every person that's here tonight, whoever you are and wherever you are in your relationship with the Lord, you fit in to this parable right here. It characterizes you, and you are in one of these stages right here that's listed. There's four different kinds of soil listed in this, and there's nobody that's exempt from this. You are one of these four different kinds of soil. And this right here will tell you what you're like, and also, if you aren't bearing fruit, if the Word of God isn't producing in your life, it'll tell you exactly the reason why it's happening. And praise God, this is really important. You need to understand this and continually keep this in your mind so that when you see something begin to be unfruitful in your life, you can go back and you can nail it down to one of these things. It's really helpful. Mark the fourth chapter. The interpretation of this parable is in verse 14 that the sower soweth the word. He's talking about the word of God. That's what we're doing tonight. I'm sowing words. How do you sow the word? You sow it by speaking it, Right? That's the way that you sow. If you're going to sow seed in the ground, you get those seed and you either get your uh, machine, a tractor, and a drill or whatever, and you plant those things in the ground or you scatter them on top of the soil or something. But the way that you plant the Word of God or the way you sow it is with your mouth. Right now I'm sowing words, and the Word of God is coming into our hearts tonight. We're going to be sharing some things, and it is either going to produce fruit in your life and bring forth, or you're going to let Satan steal it from you, or you're going to get offended and let go of it because of what it cost you. But the Word of God is being sown, and this is the way that you get it in your heart, through hearing it preached, also through you speaking it. As you speak it, the Word of God goes into your heart, and it's important that you understand this. In verse 15, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, which again is showing you that the way that the word is sown is by you hearing it, by somebody speaking it. It says, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now there's a lot of things in this parable, and some of these things I'm just going to skip over because we could stay on this for a long time. But the, one of the most important things to realize out of this is what happened when the word was sown. Satan came immediately to steal away the word that's been sown in your heart. And some people just have no conception of what this is talking about. They think that when they come to the Lord that, man, all of their battles are over with and that everything's going to be roses and that, praise God, from now on they'll never have another discouragement, they'll never have another problem in all of their life. Well, you got a partial truth. God is on your side, and if you could believe it and walk in it totally, it's true that you ha are far above all principality. You're above only and not beneath. But what you fail to rec recognize is that the moment you confess the Lord Jesus and the moment you begin to make a stand for the Word of God, you become a target of the devil. And Satan is going to come immediately to steal away the Word that was sown in your heart, and you're fixing to get one of the strongest battles that you've ever had in your life. And somebody might say, well, if that's true and if that's the way it is, who wants to be serving the Lord? Who wants to be getting in a battle? This didn't mean that you was going to get defeated or that you were going to get beat in a battle. It didn't say that at all. It just said Satan is going to come to steal it. You don't have to be defeated, praise the Lord. You don't have to be overcome. I don't mind fighting the devil if I'm going to win. Matter of fact, I enjoy fighting the devil because I do win. 
And another thing that a lot of people miss, they think that once you become a minister or something, that somehow or another you pass beyond the realm of having all of the mundane problems that all the rest of y'all do. Well, if anything, it's quite the opposite. If anything, I'd say that there are more temptations against a person ministering the Word of God, a thousand times more temptations and more pressures and more problems from the devil than a person that isn't ministering the Word of God, simply because you're on the front lines. If Satan can shoot you down, he could get a lot more people to go with you. And it all comes because of the Word's sake. If you're ministering the Word to a large number of people, then you are a big target. And sometimes we point the finger at ministers, and of course a minister isn't exempt from living a holy life either. Matter of fact, he has a position where he should live a holier life. But one reason you see a lot of ministers fall and make mistakes is because they are under stronger temptation and stronger bondage than a lot of other people, and they simply have not matured to the place to be able to handle it. They jumped out there, and I guarantee you it's a fight. But the point I'm saying through this is, don't think that you, the stronger you get in the Lord that the less Satan fights against you. Quite the contrary. He's going to fight against you more. But the truth is, the more you get in the Word of God, the more victorious you're going to be. I can say that I'm being fought against more than I ever have in all my life, but I can also say that I am having more victory today than I've ever had in all of my life. Amen? And to me, I don't mind the fight. Matter of fact, it's just a good opportunity to see the devil beat. It's a good opportunity to rejoice and to praise God if you'll look at it that way. But it's important that you understand that there is a fight, and a lot of Christians today are under the impression that if you've got any problems, it can't be God. I know the way that I was taught to discern the will of the Lord was that you head in a direction, and if everything goes smooth, and if you don't have any problems, and if everything begins to work out, then it's got to be God. But if you have any problems, if something doesn't work, if you run into snags along the way, well, that couldn't be God. If it was God, it'd work smooth. There wouldn't be any problems. Now, some of you are laughing at that, but I know that most of you, that's exactly what you've thought. How many times has something not worked the way that you wanted it to, and you sit down and say, I wonder if this is God's will? Why? Because God told you that? No, because you're looking at circumstances. You're trying to interpret God's will by your circumstances. You can't do that. A person that interprets God's will for you by your circumstances, you're never going to get past first base, because I guarantee you Satan is going to come immediately to steal away the word that was sown in your heart. And if you don't get hold of God's word and get hold of God's direction for you, and I mean without wavering, head in that direction regardless, if all hell breaks loose against you, then you're going to fall flat on your face. I can promise you that. If Jesus went by the public opinion polls, popularity polls, amen, he never would have made it. He never would have got started. His own family, his brothers and sisters turned against him. And after three and a half years of ministry, and I mean a man that didn't miss it one iota, he operated perfectly the way God wanted him to. Saw the dead raised, the lame walk. He did every kind of miracle that can be done at the end of three and a half years. He had zilch, zero followers that would stand with him when it looked like it was death. Now, if we judged him by the popular trend today, we'd have to say that Jesus missed it. Amen? There's a lot of churches today that are saying, man, we've got to be of God. Look at the crowds. Look at everybody that's coming to our church. Well, if you're going to look at crowds and compare crowds, you're going to have to say that Satan's church is the one that we're all supposed to go to. Because there's more people today coming alive to the occult and things like that than there is to the gospel. Now, there's a tremendous resurgence. There's a tremendous revival going on among God's believers. And I believe that God's Word will produce fruit and that people will turn out and respond to it. But you can't judge God's Word by the number of people that are going along with it. 
If you look at the popularity polls, you're always going to be missing out on God's Word. Amen? So the reason I say all this is for you to recognize that Satan is going to come immediately to steal away the Word of God in your heart. Don't go by anything except God's Word. Satan's fighting against it, and you've got to get to where you base your life on God's Word. Something that the Lord showed me that really was a life-changing thing. This is The Lord showed me this while Marshall and I were in Seagaville, Texas, ministering. And that was that out of um, Acts, the 16th chapter, if you want to just look at this real quick, 16th chapter of the book of Acts, it talks about where Paul had been preaching the gospel. And it said that he went through the cities and churches teaching them all of these things. And in verse 6 it says, Now when they had gone throughout... Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia after they were coming to I don't even know what the name of that is you know brother you aren't looking at your Bible this guy's got an education he's supposed to know those things it says they essayed to go into Bithynia but the spirit suffered them not and so they passed by that place and came down to Troas and the Lord appeared to him in a vision by night and told him to go over into Macedonia and as I was meditating on that scripture the Lord showed me something that was really powerful Paul was not waiting on the Lord to give him a word and say, go into Macedonia and preach the gospel. Now this is, see, contrary to the way that I was taught. I always thought that you kind of just let uh, circumstances direct you or the Lord had to speak to you or do something. Give you a special word of wisdom or a knowledge to go someplace and minister the gospel. Now that was under the impression. I thought, man, I'm not going anywhere that God doesn't want me to go. I'm not moving one inch until God moves me. And so as a result, I was sitting and I wasn't doing very much. I wasn't able to discern the Lord moving me very well. And I had a good desire. But what I began to see with Paul was, Paul wasn't waiting on the Lord to tell him to go anywhere either. Paul was going everywhere preaching the gospel just like what Jesus said. And he was headed into Asia. And the Lord had to forbid him and tell him not to go. Even after the Lord forbid him to go into that place, he just deflected and started somewhere else. He didn't sit down and say, Lord, where am I supposed to go? He just headed in another direction. And finally, the Lord had to get, catch him while he was asleep and tell him, don't go there, go over into Macedonia and preach the gospel. And I began to see that instead of you having to be led by go witness to this person or go share with this person or be led to do something, you've got to be led not to do it because you've already got the Word of God that says go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when I saw that, did you know I saw that, praise God, I don't have to wait on the Lord to tell me to go to Colorado Springs or Denver or anywhere to go minister the gospel. He gave me a command to go everywhere preaching the gospel, and I've just got to be sensitive to Him for Him to forbid me if there was some reason I wasn't supposed to be there. You all see the difference? There's a big difference. The reason I brought this up is because... See, I used to go a lot by circumstances. Paul wasn't going by circumstances. He wasn't going by what things looked like. The Holy Ghost forbid him. Well, if he'd have been like most of us, he, he would have sat down and said, I wonder if God wants me to be preaching the gospel. I wonder if I'm supposed to be doing this or that. No, he just was going on the Word of God. He wasn't waiting on anything else. He was standing solely on the Word of God and acting on it. He was sensitive to the Lord correcting him, but he was just standing on the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, this is a place that you're going to have to reach if you are going to see victory in your Christian life. You're going to have to dig into God's Word and you're going to have to find out what it says and you're going to have to start doing it and quit going by circumstances and quit going by whether it's popular with people and quit going by whether it feels good or whether it's easy. 
That is just not the way that it works. Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said that a great and effectual door is opened unto us and there are many adversaries. And that's contrary to a lot of the way people think. They think, well, if it's really the Lord opening it up, there won't be any problems. No, there's many adversaries. If you're truly walking in the way that the Lord wants you to, I guarantee you Satan's going to be shooting you against you with everything he's got. I am not preaching defeat. I am not preaching that you've got to have problems. I am not preaching that you've got to be poor and beat down and all of this, but I am preaching that you better be aware that Satan's going to fight against the Word. If you're truly operating in the Word, there will be opportunities for defeat. Doesn't mean you have to take them. Amen? But there will be opportunities, plenty of opportunities for defeat. And so don't get discouraged. There's another scripture over in Hebrews chapter 10 that you need to look this up. Let's... Look at this over in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 32, he was encouraging these people not to faint, but to be strong and to stand against all of the opposition that they were receiving. And he said... But call to remember the former days in which after you were illuminated, or in other words, after you were shown the truth, after the light finally went off in you and you saw the truth, you endured a great fight of afflictions. And then it goes on to say some more about that. But he said right after you were illuminated, after you saw the truth, you endured a great fight of afflictions. And this is true, that when you receive the truth, Satan's going to come against you. When I first saw the truth about healing, I remember I'd never really been sick much in my life. I was when I was a little kid, but I mean, it had probably been three or four years since I'd had a cold. And so I said, praise God, I believe that you are supposed to be healed. By his stripes I am healed. And I began to tell everybody, and guess what? I started getting sick just on a regular basis. I started having colds and runny nose and fevers, and I didn't understand it. There I was preaching healing, and I was feeling worse than I ever was. And at first, I had a big temptation to sit down and say, well, if this is victory, then who wants it? And I even came around with this kind of thinking that I better not stand up and testify that I've been healed, because if I do, the devil's going to hear it, and the devil's going to come against me and fight and it was true that if you do stand up and testify, lots of times you're fixing to get shot at. But what do you do? Do you quit testifying so you won't get shot at? No, you just jump up there, amen, and put your armor up. Put your shield up and go to shouting it that much louder. And I guarantee you, you'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. But it's important that you realize what's happening and that you don't begin to say, Oh, no, what's happening? Is God showing me that I shouldn't open my big mouth? Maybe God's trying to humble me and tell me I was out of line in saying this in the first place. No, when the Word of God's planted, Satan's going to come immediately to steal it away. Why? Because the Word of God's the power of God. If the Word of God ever takes root in our hearts, you're fixing to do the devil a job. Satan's fixing to get completely destroyed. Brothers and sisters, there's no difference between you and me and the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, did you know it? There is none at all as far as God's uh, blessings, as far as the privilege, as far as the opportunity, as far as the power that's available to us. There is no difference at all. The difference was what they did with what God committed to them. God has committed His Word to you and me, and if you and I will take God's Word and put it in our hearts, it'll work for us exactly the same as it did the Apostle Paul. Some I want to show you out of this. We hadn't even got into this parable yet, but we're going to. Y'all stick around. But if you'll go down and study this, you'll find out that in every instance, what was Satan fighting against? Was he fighting against the people? 
No. He came immediately to steal away the Word. Satan's warfare was against the Word. Why was it against the Word? Because you and I couldn't heal a gnat. You and I couldn't bless anybody. You can't be a blessing to anybody. You can't produce victory. You can't produce salvation in one person's life. You can't do one good thing. And if it's just you on your own trying to go out and win the loss, the devil will even help you do it. Did you know it? That may sound like a contradictory statement, but I guarantee you there, <laughs> the devil will help you. There's a lot of people out today in their own power and in their own might that aren't going out according to the Word of God, and they're out spouting things about God, and the devil's supporting them. The devil's uh, putting money in their coffers so that they can do that. Because if it's not the Word of God, it's going to bring people into bondage, and it won't produce. You may get some numbers. You may get a crowd or something else. But the Word of God's what you've got to be born again by. It's the Word of God that's going to change people. It's the Word of God that's going to set them free and really produce victory in their life. The Word of God's the only thing that's going to produce. And so Satan will even help you if you'll get out under your own steam and power because you'll make a mess of things. Satan's not going to fight against you near as hard until you put God's Word there. But when you put the Word of God there, immediately you're headed for a battle because the Word of God has defeated him already. It's already stripped him. It's already destroyed the powers of hell. And he knows that if it takes root in you, it has the exact potential in you that it had in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're capable of doing the exact same things that Jesus did or any of the others. Just exactly. And it's the Word that's going to produce it. So Satan has to come and fight against that Word. Now here's where you and I enter into it. Satan can't stop God's Word. When God's Word says something, it's settled forever in heaven. That's what the Scripture says. Nothing can change it. Nobody can stop the power of God except you and me. And God's Word, this is what this whole parable is about. And if you'll read this whole chapter, and if you'll read the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, you'll find out that God's Word always has to be planted in a heart. God's Word won't accomplish anything until it's planted in a person's heart. It's like a seed. You take a seed. A seed has the potential. If you had a kernel of corn here, it has the potential of producing corn and growing up a plant and producing ears of corn. It's got all of that in that seed. But that seed by itself is not worth anything until it's planted, until it takes root, until it germinates and brings up, right? That's when the seed really becomes productive. The Word of God will not produce anything until it is planted in a person's heart, until it germinates and begins to bring forth. You can take this Bible just like this, and you can lay it on the top of your head, amen, and walk around like that, and I promise you, it'll never produce healing in you. It'll never produce victory in you. It'll never produce joy in your life. It'll never set you free, and it'll never bless anybody else. You can carry a big one around under your arm. I saw a guy carrying a big old family Bible around under his arm, living in total bondage. I don't know who he is trying to impress, but the devil's not afraid of a Bible. If you watch these werewolf movies... I hadn't watched those in many, many a year, but I remember that when the werewolf comes around, you could stick a cross up or hold a Bible up, and they just couldn't stand. They'd have to run away. That's foolish. The devil likes for you to make think something like that. You're never going to turn the devil off by shaking your Bible at him, saying, the Word of God says, big deal. He'll quote the Word of God back to you. He did to Jesus. 
The Bible means nothing until it's put on the inside of you. The Scripture says that it's the living Word. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. God's Word's a spiritual thing. It's not just words on a piece of paper. It's not something you lay on your coffee table to impress the preacher when he comes by. Amen? The Word of God's real, but it's not going to produce until it's taken and until it's planted in your heart. It's got to have you, your heart, to germinate the Word of God. Until it's planted in your heart, it won't produce. Until it becomes a part of you and until you nurture it and protect it, it will not work. So that's the reason that Satan is fighting against you. Because even though he can't stop the Word of God, he can fight against you. And if you'll go digging that word up, like say, for instance, you sow it and you say, by his stripes I am healed, and you begin to confess that I believe that I prosper and I'm in health even as my soul prospers, and Satan says, all right, and he comes after you and he begins to hit you and he begins to plant thoughts in your mind. People come along and tell you you're crazy and they begin to do all of these other things and immediately you dig it up. And you say, well, it didn't work. The moment you say that, you just dug it up. And right there, even though the Word was working, even though there was a due season that you were going to reap and see the power of God manifest in your life, you just cut it off, see, because you quit confessing it. You uprooted what was happening. So that's the reason that you're being fought against. Don't think that you're just some special person that the devil's picking on. And I know I've heard people say that. I don't know why the devil's on my case so bad. I don't know why I'm being picked on. I don't know why this happens. Well, if, if you're really being picked on by the devil, it's because you're a container for the Word of God, and he's out to steal away the Word of God. If you'll recognize that, it'll te keep you from taking things so personal. And this has really helped me in the area of people persecuting me, because when people say things against you, and I'm sure that some of y'all have probably had a few things said against you for the stand that you've taken in the Lord, but when people say things against you, it's hard to keep from taking it personal. Like, Lord, am I really that offensive that everybody I see, I turn them off, I get them mad at me that I do all of this? It helped me when I began to see that all it was was Satan trying to get me to back up on the Word of God. When I saw that, I don't take it personal now. When I see somebody say something against me that's contrary to the Word of God, I don't look at it as being that person coming against me. I say, Satan, I see you. I recognize you. I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Satan, you're trying to steal a word out of my heart, and I just refuse to let it go. Amen. And I don't take it personal. I know that person, he, they just through their carnality allowed the devil to use them to speak against me and try and dig up the word that's in my heart. And I refuse to let it go. Amen? It's the word that's going to produce. Another thing that this will bless you with, if it's the word that's going to produce in your life, that means, praise God, God is not going to be using you or blessing you or answering your prayers according to how holy, according to you according to your great qualifications, according to your great abilities. Boy, that blesses me. I don't know about you, but I realized and do realize what my limitations are. And I know that in me, that is in my flesh, like it says in Romans chapter 7, there is no good thing. And I know that, man, I had ten strikes against me before I ever got started in the ministry. I really did. And some... <laughs> I heard, I think it was Kenneth Copeland or somebody, I don't know who this was, but they said that God never really has had anybody work for him who was qualified yet. And that was really a blessing to me. Because sometimes you look at people, you look at some of these great faith men or something, and you say, oh, praise the Lord. Boy, they got it together. And somehow or other, we think that they're qualified. God's using them because they've really got it all together. No, that's not so. 
God's using them because they're available and because they've taken his word and put it in them and they're defending it and they're speaking God's word. God's using his word. His word's what he's using. He's not going to use you because of your great personality, because of your great looks, because of your great singing voice or any of these other things. God's going to use you because you put his word in your heart. Now that ought to encourage some of you that know that you hadn't got anything going for you. Because, praise God, God wasn't going to use you because of you in the first place. All he wants you to be is just some ground. Put God's Word in there. Plant it in your heart, and I promise you God's Word is going to transform you and transform other people. If you'll let God's Word take root on the inside of you, he will put you in a place where you can bloom and blossom and be a blessing to somebody. He will begin to answer your prayers, and miracles will begin to flow, not because of you, but simply because you put God's Word in there. God's Word's what's going to produce. And this is precisely the reason that a lot of people aren't being used of God today is because they are thinking that it's them that's going to produce. And they're so worried about polishing up their exterior and getting to where they can say things the right way. And all of the homiletics, how many steps you're supposed to take to this side and to this side and to that and all this stuff. Amen. Boy, I'd, I'd have never made it. Amen. If the Lord graded us on that kind of thing. Praise the Lord. But there's a lot of people, you see, that are so concerned with their exterior, they're going to polish their exterior up and get themselves to where they are really a personable person, to where God can use them. And that's exactly the reason they're missing it. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And they aren't willing to be foolish. Now, I'm not saying God wants you to look as ugly as you can, and he wants you to stink and smell and do all this other stuff. There's... There's no reason for that, amen? But I'm saying that that is not the important thing. That is not what God's going to use you for. The thing that's going to make you usable is if you become a container for the Word of God. And that's something that every last person listening to me is able to do. Every last one of you. Your soil is just as good as the next person if you'd cultivate it, if you'd weed it. If you would begin to take care of it, God's word would bring forth a harvest in you. I don't care whether you feel able or up to it or not. You are capable of letting the word of God germinate in you and bring forth a harvest. Boy, that's powerful. Amen? I like that. You are capable, and brothers and sisters, the only reason God's word has not produced in your life more than what it has is simply because we have not taken God's word and planted it there and defended it. And this is another thing. A lot of people are quick to plant God's Word there, but they don't realize that Satan is going to come immediately to steal it away, and they have no commitment to fight for the thing. If it goes fine, if it works, I'm going to confess that I'm healed by the stripes of the Lord. As long as there's no resistance, as long as Satan doesn't fight me with the sickness, as long as everything goes exactly the way it should, well, then I'm going to hang on to it. But if I run into a problem, well, you can't expect, expect me to sit here and just confess that I'm healed, you know, and they just let go of it. You're going to have to realize that if you're going to bear fruit, you're also going to have to get to a point that you'll stand and fight for the Word of God. And boy, this is something that the Lord has really ministered in my life. Satan is coming immediately to steal away the Word of God. And guess how he's stealing it? These people that are over here in the bar tonight, they aren't getting the Word stolen from them. They don't have the Word. Most of the Word is being stolen today through religious traditions and doctrines of man that make the Word of God of none effect according to Mark chapter 7. Satan is coming out with all kinds of sneaky things about, well, God put that on you to teach you something. God may not want you to be healed. Maybe it's not the will of the Lord. God's sovereign. You never know what God's going to do. 
and on and on and on they go. And they use a little bit of scripture to lace their poison with so that you'll swallow it and get killed. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, it's a hard thing sometimes to stand and fight against some of the religious traditions and doctrines of man. But if you're going to have the Word of God bear fruit in you, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to get dogmatic, maybe with some of your friends. Amen? I remember when the Lord was ministering this chapter to us, one of our very best friends, some people that we love better than anybody, we stayed over at their house till early, early, early in the morning. And we were just getting hold of the truth. And they were seeing a little bit of it, but they thought we were getting a little fanatical, a little wild. Don't go off the deep end. Man, they were already, we was already off the deep end on the other side, amen? But don't go off the deep end. And they began to caution us. And after Jamie and I got married, it got to the point that I remember one time this lady got Jamie and took her in the bathroom and was talking to her, and she says, you're the only one that can stop him. You're the only one that can stop him. you got to do something. And we loved them, and because we loved them, we didn't want to offend them. But we had finally been getting hold of this, and see, we'd just be praising God. Man, we'd hear the faith, and we'd get hold of some tapes. We'd be studying the Word, and we'd be turned on. We'd get around them, and they'd begin to drag us down. You better be careful. You don't know for sure about this speaking in tongues and about all of this healing. Couldn't be God's will to heal everybody. And we'd say, yes, it is. And they'd say, no, it's not. And we'd kind of just let it go. And we didn't understand, but we'd begin to get discouraged. And after a couple of weeks, we'd have to go back over to a Joan Hay or a Kenneth Copeland meeting to get pumped up. And we'd go pretty good for a week or two, and then we'd hit rock bottom again. And then we'd have to go get pumped up. And finally, the Lord showed me, he said, you just don't have any root in yourself. You aren't defending the Word. You let them plant it in you, and you're reaping off of them. You're just like a parasite. You're a leech. You're sapping off of their faith. You're rejoicing in what they're seeing, but you aren't standing and fighting for it. And I, and I begin to say, well, where am I missing it? And he says, well, people are coming around and telling you it's of the devil and you won't say anything. You, and this, he showed me a scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, that says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And boy, I was deceived. I was thinking, well, I believe it. I'm not going to let what somebody else believes corrupt me. Don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Amen. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I got on this last time we was at Manitou. Maybe that's the reason we don't have too many here tonight. We got to talking about denominations and that, bless the Lord, you better not be sitting in some place listening to them speak lies and cram doubt and unbelief down your throat simply because you say God put you there. Fooey. God didn't put you in any place where you are being, hearing the Holy Ghost blaspheme. And I don't care if they got their collar on backwards or not. If, if they're blaspheming against the Holy Ghost and speaking against the Word of God, God's not the one directing them to say it. And you do not have to be deceived and sit under unbelief. It'll kill you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Get out, amen. Somebody said, boy, you're speaking against the local church. I'm not speaking against the local church. The local church is a body of believers. And God's church is set up with elders that are after his own hearts, what he said. And I guarantee you no elder that's up saying the baptism of the Holy Ghost is of the devil's after God's own heart. I'm not saying they aren't saved, but I'm saying they are not after God's own heart. And God didn't establish them. I don't care if they got a diploma up on the wall. You can write to California and you can get licensed and ordained to the gospel ministry, did you know, for five dollars. And they don't even ask you if you're a Christian. A diploma doesn't mean a thing. It's a piece of paper. I got one somewhere. 
I mean, not a diploma, but I got an ordination paper somewhere, but I don't care. That's not, I don't show people my ordination papers. God hadn't got them on record. Did you know that? That's not what he goes by in heaven. How do we get off on all this? I got to saying that, you see, I was not aware of the fact that evil communications corrupt good manners, and because of it, I was letting people plant their doubt and unbelief in me, and it was choking the Word of God. It wasn't being fruitful. And when I finally saw that, I told Jamie, I said, Bless the Lord, I'm going to love people, and as much as it lies within me, I'm going to operate in love, but I'm not going to let people root the Word of God out of me again. I said, If I have to fight, bless the Lord, we are not going to let go of the Word again. And that's just a couple of days before this lady got Jamie in the bathroom. You're the only one that can stop it. And she just told her, she said, I love you, but that is not true. We are doing what God said. And she left. Bam. And I mean, that was out of character. And it strained the relationship a little bit. So they wrote us a letter about how we were operating according to the devil. And so we burned it. And we had a service over that letter and burned it and renounced those words that, bless God, we're standing on the Word of God and it's going to work. And some of you may think that's funny, but at the time, I was fighting a battle. I was fighting for that Word in my heart. Satan was coming to steal it, but I determined I was going to stand. And I guarantee you, it cost me a lot. And for a while, it looked like it cost me everything and I wasn't getting anything back. But I guarantee you, after it began to germinate and God's Word has begun to produce, you couldn't make me go back to what I left for anybody or anything. Big deal, amen? I left nothing to receive everything that God's got for me. We're seeing things happen now that back then I didn't even think were possible. And I certainly didn't ever expect them to happen in my life. It's worth it. But you're going to have to realize that Satan's going to come steal, try and steal this Word of God. There's going to be a fight, and you're going to have to get committed to fight and stand for the Word of God. Amen? It's important. And until you get ready to make a commitment that I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to defend what God's given me, it's not going to work. And if you aren't wanting to get into a battle and fight, well, then you shouldn't have ever got in the Lord's army. Because I guarantee you, the Lord doesn't have any people laying in the rear areas. I don't know about some of you, but if you've ever been in the army, I was in the army, and I, you find out that there's so many people in the army, like over in Vietnam, that never saw any war. They had it better than 99% of the people in the United States. Really, it was like a paid vacation for a bunch of those guys in the rear areas. But it wasn't that way with the grunts out in the field. That's what they called them grunts out in the field and that's a good expression because boy they was grunting and groaning it was rough and God doesn't have any people that are just in the rear areas that don't get involved in the fight I guarantee you everybody in God's army is going to be fighting the devil if you take the word of God and you need to realize that not to the point of getting discouraged I'm not trying to get you discouraged I'm trying to get your eyes opened up so that you'll recognize where your problems are coming from they are not by mistake it's Satan trying to get you to give up God's word the first kind of person, there's four types of soil that this talks about, and they're all types of people's hearts, different conditions of your heart. And the first kind was a person that didn't have any understanding of the Word. If you'll read this over in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, you'll find out it says that they didn't understand the Word at all. And this is what Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear, down in verse 9 of this same chapter, after he said the parable, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's some people that are so spiritually dead that they just don't have ears to hear. It goes in one ear and out the other. A person like that, the Word of God, there's no way it's going to take root in their heart. And it was because 
that it was uh, sown in the wayside and it was on stony ground and the fowls of the air just came immediately and stole it away. The people didn't receive it. It just never took root in them. Now, the second type of soil in verse 16, it says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now, this is what I was talking about a while ago. This is what the Lord showed me that I was in that stage of growth at that time. I was a kind of person that I'd go hear the word and I, you talk about receiving it with gladness, I'd get beside myself. I really would. I'd sit there and just cry. I remember sitting in a lot of services, coming to services like what you are, and hear the word of God preach life for the first time in my life. And I'd sit there and just cry. Marshall and I went to a bunch of these services and we'd paint houses during the day. And I remember up on top of the house one day talking and Marshall says, do you believe this speaking in tongues is really real? And I said, yes, I do, brother. And while he was up on top of my brother's house painting it, he just decided he'd receive it. And so he received it. He didn't speak in tongues that night, but we went to a Kenneth Copeland meeting, and he said, well, the Lord told me to pray for the president. Everybody start praying in tongues. So he says, well, I received that this afternoon. He just cut loose praying in tongues. Amen. And I mean, we were so turned on that we talked about it painting houses, doing all kinds of things. I was receiving it with gladness. I really was. But I wasn't seeing it produce in my life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a bunch of you tonight that can say the exact same thing. I rejoice in it. I like it. But why isn't it working? Right here's your answer. Whether you like it or not, this is your answer. It's because you got no root in yourself. But when Satan comes with afflictions and with persecutions, immediately you are offended. Now, what it means by having no root in yourself is that you are going on what somebody else has to say about it, and you have never taken the word. You have never put it on the inside of you. You have never stood and dug in and made that word a part of you. You're going on what somebody else has to say. And if you're sitting there thinking tonight, well, Brother Andy said this, I guarantee you the devil's going to steamroll you and laugh the whole way over you. Brother Andy who? Big deal, amen. It's not going to work until you can say, Thus saith the Lord out of your heart, out, at, as it's taken root in your heart. You've got to make it a part of you. And this is what a lot of people don't like, because you know what? You don't get a root system overnight. I remember one time when I was in Vietnam reading about Mark, uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter. It's the same thing in this chapter, if you'll go further on over. And it's given a parable. And it says the kingdom of God is as a grain of uh, mustard seed, which is indeed the least of all seeds. But when it is sown in the earth, it become a great and mighty tree so that the fowls of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And I remember I was in Vietnam in a bunker. Everybody else was out doing something. And I was watching, guarding the bunkers that day. And I remember reading that and just tears coming to my eyes and saying, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to be a great and mighty tree so that I can spread out and that the fowls of the air come lodge in my branches. That, praise God, I can be shelter and, and help other people. And that's what I was praying for and saying, Lord, why can't I be that way? And so I got to thinking. And as I got to thinking, the Lord got to reminding me, my mother, in my mother's yard where I grew up in Arlington, Texas, we got pecan trees. There's 22 of them. 
and those pecans would fall down. And if you didn't pick them up and if you stepped on them, if it got down in the ground, those pecans would uh, sprout and you'd get these little pecan trees coming up. And they came up in the gardens. They came up everywhere and um, in the flower beds. And so my job when I was a kid was to go around and peel up these pecan trees. And I learned real quick that if you let a pecan tree get more than about that tall, you've had it. You've got to go get you a shovel to dig the thing up with because a pecan tree has at least twice as much, usually three times as many roots down as it's got stuff above the ground. If you let one get two or three foot high, you've had it. You really have. You, it's now impossible to kill that thing. You're going to have to go dig it up. And I began to, and I, so I got to thinking about that, and the Lord showed me. He said, what kind of tree would you be if you were big and huge and had all of these branches for the fowls of the air to come lodge in and if you didn't have any roots? He said, the first fowl of the air that lodged in your branch would knock your tree over. It would fall flat over. Or the first wind of doctrine that comes along, it would just blow you smooth over that you wouldn't be able to stand. And I got to seeing, you see, I was like a lot of you. I was wanting all of the results. I was wanting to be powerful in the Word of God. I was wanting everything else, but I was refusing to get rooted and deep down. And brothers and sisters, this is where so many people are missing it. Yes, I want the victory. Yes, I want to be able to oper operate in healing and health and prosperity. I want all of these things. But are they willing to go dig and to stay in God's Word, to stay up late at night? to let something else go, to turn your boob tube off and quit watching it a while and go spend some time in the Word of God? Oh, now, you're getting a little personal now. I don't have to do that. God didn't say you don't have to watch television. No, He didn't. I'm just saying you can't do two things at one time. You can't get rooted, and you can't watch television at the same time. They're contrary forces. And you're going to have to start disciplining yourself. Like lots of times people say, oh, I wish I was like this minister. I wish I could lay my hands on somebody and see them healed. But there's a lot of people that want those kind of results, but they will not get in God's Word. They won't take time to get rooted and grounded. They won't turn off the television. They won't get off the golf course. Amen or oh me? That's the truth, and I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm not preaching against TV. I'm preaching for the Word of God. You can't do two things at one time. You just can't do it. And you aren't going to get rooted in the Word of God by reading your daily Bible readings and falling asleep three times before you get through with it and finally just barely staggering through and throwing it over and say, Praise God, I read my Bible today. It's not going to work that way. How many of you have ever read a chapter out of the Bible and you go back and you couldn't even remember it? What if it was in the Old or the New Testament after you got through reading it? Your mind was somewhere else. It's not going to work that way. If your mind is like that, and that happens to me sometimes, you're going to have to go back and read it over, and you're going to have to read it over, and if it takes you 50 times before you get your mind stayed on it and start getting something out of it, read it 50 times. Amen? But until a person begins to get rooted like that, you simply aren't going to be able to stand. And also, brothers and sisters, we're going through some perilous times. There's some dry spells. Satan has mastered a, a plan against the saints that you aren't going to be able to weather if you don't have a strong root system. If you take a tree, the, one, the tree that has the deepest roots is the one that's going to survive the longest. And I guarantee you, if you don't have a deep root system, you aren't going to be able to tap into the springs of living water and get your nourishment the way that you're supposed to. You're simply going to dry up. You're going to wither, and you won't bring forth fruit. Just exactly like what this is saying. 
And so I began to realize that my problem was the fact that, yes, I was receiving the word with gladness. I could shout and hoop and holler with the best of them. I really did. I liked it. But I, I wasn't rooted and grounded, established in the word of God myself. And because of it, then people would come along and fight against me. Or Satan would remind me of things that I'd heard that was contrary to the word, and it would offend me. And this word offend is something else, too. Because I used to think, well, I know that, you know, I'm staying in this old dead church trying to win all of them. And I know it's not helping me. I know it's hurting me, but I still believe Satan isn't going to get it out of me. Well, that isn't any good. You not only have to believe, but the Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. But won't thou know, vain man, that faith without works is dead? You not only got to believe something up here with your head, but you've got to believe it with your heart to the point that there's actions, to the point that there is confidence, to the point that there is assurance. And you can retain a belief with your head, but you will lose your confidence, you will lose your assurance, you'll lose that overflowing ability to operate in faith unless you're rooted and grounded in it. And it says that they get offended. You know what the word offend means? It just means to get hurt. It just means to get your feelings hurt. It means to get upset. If somebody was to come at you tonight and begin to blaspheme the word and say, you aren't going to get healed, it isn't going to work for you, are you getting hurt by it? Is it upsetting you? Is it shaking you? Is it making any impact on you at all? Somebody might say, well, how could it do anything but make an impact on you? Well, it can. The Scripture says that you can bring every thought into captivity and honor the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. You are able to bring every thought into captivity and under the obedience of the Lord Jesus. You can reach a place to where a person can turn around and lambast everything you believe. And in your heart you know that you know that you know. And it has not offended you. It has not touched you. It has not moved you one ounce. An example of this is Jesus. He was preaching to the multitudes. And they turned around. And he had been telling them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot follow me. And they said, these are hard sayings. Who can bear them? And he said, nobody can bear them unless, you are, unless it's given to you of my Father. If it's given to you of my Father, you'll come to me. If you don't come to me, it's because you weren't drawn of my Father. And the Scripture says that many were offended. The exact same word. Many were offended, and they walked no more with him. Boy, the multitudes, that means thousands of people got offended and turned around and left him. And then he turned around to his disciples and he said, Will you also leave me? And I used to read that like, Oh, poor, poor Lord Jesus. He was so hurt and crushed that he turned around to his disciples with tears in his eyes and said, Oh, please, will you stay with me? Are you going to leave me? But as I've studied this, Jesus had his face set like a flint, according to Isaiah chapter 50. He was not afraid. He was not discouraged. He was not uh, touched by any of that. He turned around to his disciples and he says, Well, they left me. There's the door. Are you going to leave or are you going to stay? Amen. Make up your mind. And I'm confident that that's the way the Lord said it. There's the door. You make it up right now. I don't want any stragglers. Down to his last 12 men. And he says, Go. If you can't stand it, go. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But I know that that's the way that the Lord Jesus meant it. He didn't get moved by it. He wasn't hurt by it. And brothers and sisters, I guarantee you the same thing can happen. I can tell you that this first time we fought this, well, it, was the, it wasn't this lady, the devil, that was trying to come at us through this. But the first time we fought that battle, it was hard. I remember we went on a, 
little trip the next weekend, and Jamie and I just sat there, and boy, that was the hardest thing we ever did, was to sit there and, and stand, even when it was our friends that it was going to cost us. It hurt, and we talked about it and said, Lord, I just don't know, but we hung on, and we stood. And it's come to the point that some of our very best friends, some of the people that we love the most, I mean people that we love, have turned on us and turned around and said all kinds of things, and I can truthfully say that it hadn't moved me an inch. I have a compassion for them. I may have even shed tears over them for their sake, but not because it hurt and offended me. And I'm not perfect yet. I haven't attained. But I can say that I've seen so much victory that I know that it's possible. I know that you can get rooted and grounded so that when afflictions and persecutions come, you will not be offended. You will not be hurt. You will not be upset at all. But it isn't going to come by mistake. It's going to come by devoting yourself totally to the Word of God. And this is where so many are missing it tonight, is they are not devoting themselves totally to the Word of God. They think that this Christian life is something that you tack on to the rest of your life to make it a little bit more complete, a little bit more fulfilling. It's not. It's a total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's saturating yourself totally with it. And somebody might say, oh, you're, talking, you're getting lopsided. You're just getting too strong. You're just getting too full of the Word of God. I have never seen one person that was too full of the Word of God. I've heard people say, well, you can get so spiritually minded that you know earthly good. You can get so religious minded that you know earthly good. I believe that. You can get your head in the clouds and out of reality, but I guarantee you being spiritually minded will make you more earthly good than anything else. It will release the power and the ability of God. You can't get in God's Word too strong. Amen? You can't get too established in the things of God. If you could, Jesus would have blown it because he spent all night long many times praying, being in the Word of God. John the Baptist spent 30 years in the desert. He was a recluse. He didn't do anything except prepare himself for the work of God. And as a result, here we are nearly 2,000 years later talking about John the Baptist. I guarantee you the Word of God took root on the inside of him and produced something. Amen? Y'all see what I'm saying? You aren't going to get a crop by accident. And you aren't going to get the Word bringing forth in you without committing yourself totally to it. And I believe that this second type of soil is where many, many, many of God's people, and I mean people that really love God, find themselves. They, they love the Word. They rejoice in it. They love to come to meetings and lift their hands and praise God. They really do love it. They are not hypocritical. They want it. But it will not work in their life because they will not take the time to get in it. And you cannot depend upon a preacher to make you rooted and grounded and established in God's Word. I can promise you this. The things I'm preaching right here, if I didn't meditate on the things that I'm preaching, I couldn't be established in what I'm saying. What I'm, you just can't get established by hearing it once, twice, or three times. You've got to take it and you've got to meditate on it and just make it a part of you. If all I did was minister right here and if this was all there was to my life, I'd dry up like a prune. You just can't do that. You've got to spend time meditating the Word. You can't depend upon your pastor to digest God's Word and spoon feed it to you and for you to grow. Now, there's a time when you're a baby that you have to sap your nourishment from your parent. And there's a place for that. I'm not saying that it's totally wrong, but you need to grow up. God's tired of changing diapers, amen. I don't believe God's tired of changing diapers, but I'm saying this, that when you get 30 years old, God would appreciate it if you would quit having him burp you and bottle feed you and change your diaper all the time. 
God wants you to grow up and for you to get rooted and grounded in the Word of God and begin to stand on some of the things that the Lord's shown you. But you aren't going to get there unless you get in God's Word. I don't know how many... I'm going to say this so many ways that you're bound to get it. Amen? Say it so many different ways that you're bound to get it one way or another. But there is no other key to victory except getting God's Word and getting it established on the inside of you. It's God's Word that's going to bring forth fruit, not you. You do not bring forth the fruit. God's Word brings forth fruit. You're simply the carrier, the place that it's planted, the place where it grows. Amen? Just like a branch. A branch doesn't bring forth fruit. The vine brings forth the fruit. The branch is just something for the fruit to grow on. The sap, the nourishment flows through you. You're just something for it to work with. Amen? So anyway, this is where I found myself. I believe that this is probably the most prevalent type of person that there is in the body of Christ today. I'm talking about among people who are truly born again, spirit-filled, those that are really loving God. There's a lot of people that love God, but they are simply not going to do what it takes to get rooted and established in the Word of God. And because of it, they'll never bear fruit. They may talk about it, and we've seen this. Some of y'all, like when I first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I found out that the Pentecostals believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I thought, man, I've been missing it this whole time. I've been a Baptist. And the Pentecostals are where it's at. I began to look around and fellowship with some of the Pentecostals, and I found out they're just as dead as the Baptist. Do you know that? And it was because they was believing the right things, and they may have even been rejoicing and receiving with gladness, but they weren't bearing fruit because they're just like anybody else. They weren't established in God's Word. They're corrupted with man's doctrine, and it just simply wasn't producing. They're believing some of the right things, but they weren't established and rooted in it, and it wasn't producing within them. And there's a lot of people that way. I've... I nearly get skeptical about going to some of the full gospel meetings nowadays because you can find some of the deadest people in full gospel meetings. I mean, they got the actions down. They can smile and lift their hands, and they know exactly the right place to ooh and to ah and to sway and to do all of this. And they, know, they got it all down pat, but they aren't any more in the Word than anybody else. And I tell you, that is offensive. That's offensive. It'd be better off if you was out in the bar tonight acting like, you know, not bearing fruit, than to be standing up saying, oh, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe in miracles. I believe in deliverance. I believe in all of this and still not bearing fruit. Now, that's really offensive because people, if you was in the bar, they'd say, well, couldn't expect you much to believe in it, but that people look at you because you're saying that you believe some of these things and they're looking for fruit, just like that fig tree that Jesus came to. He cursed that fig tree because it didn't have any fruit on it. And... The key to that whole thing is it had leaves. And somebody might say, now why would he go cursing a fig tree just because it didn't have any fruit on it? Didn't he know that the time of figs was not yet? The scripture says that right there in Mark chapter 11. But the key to it was it had leaves on it. A fig tree isn't supposed to have leaves on it if it doesn't have fruit. It puts out its leaves and its fruit at the same time. So that tree, if it had leaves, it was supposed to have had fruit. Y'all see the deal there and because it put on a show in other words it looked like it had something that it didn't have that's why the Lord cursed that thing and said no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever if it hadn't had any leaves on it just like the one right next to it he wouldn't have cursed it but you see it looked like it's supposed to have fruit and I guarantee you that's that's worse than not even looking like it amen you'd be better off to say I don't know than to get up and proclaim oh I believe all of this and still not be bearing fruit 
I'm not saying that to condemn you, but I'm saying that that's the way that it is and that we need to realize that if we're going to say this, we need to get in it and get rooted and grounded and established to the point that you start bearing fruit in your life. That's what the world's looking for. Amen? The third type of soil in verse 18. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And again, there are multitudes of people, and I believe the Lord chastises me over this pretty regular. I'm not sure that I'm not out of this type of soil. I hope I'm into the next one, amen. I don't know. But you can receive the Word of God with gladness, and you can even get to the point that you start standing against a lot of the religious bondage and the things that Satan would use to get you to disbelieve the Word of God and get offended. But then another thing that Satan uses and comes against you with is the cares of this life. The deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word. Just like if you were to put a seed in the ground, you could plant the very best seed. I mean the best seed in the entire world, in the best ground in the entire world. And if you had that same field sowed with weeds and with all of these other kind of things, it wouldn't work because those weeds would sap the nourishment that that seed was supposed to get and it wouldn't produce. Even if it came up, it wouldn't produce a fruit because it just would be choked. And another little sideline right here that goes along with some things we were saying a while ago is that when you minister the Word of God, you've got to be willing to pluck up, to tear, to tear up, to destroy, to dig up things out of people's lives. And when I first saw this, it really offended me because I said, Lord, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to go mention things like we did about denominations and about all this other kind of stuff. I'd rather keep all these people as friends. I don't want to go offending people. And I thought, I'll just sneak it in on them. I'll plant the seed, but I'm not going to counter anything else. And that seed's going to grow up and it's going to choke out everything around it that isn't godly. Well, that's not the way it worked. The seed doesn't choke out the weeds. The weeds choke out the seed. And I, you wouldn't make much of a farmer today if you weren't to go plow your field and cultivate that field and get rid of some of the weeds before you planted your seed. You've got to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to root up the religious traditions and doctrines of man out of a person before they can receive the seed. Y'all see that? It'll choke the word and it won't become fruitful. And this, again, is the reason that a lot of the things that people are saying. There's a lot of people up saying a lot of the word, and there's a lot of good things being said, but brothers and sisters, somebody's going to have to be bold enough to stand up and counter the stuff that Satan is using to choke the word of God, because if they don't, you can plant the incorruptible, perfect seed of the word of God, and it will not produce. It'll be choked by the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Enter and in, it'll choke the word. Amen? So you've got to purify this word. And what this is talking about is that there's a lot of people carried away with the cares of this life, like the economic situation. If you're sitting there talking about, oh, man, mortgages and the prices of loans, and most of you shouldn't even be bothered with that. Amen? The Bible says if you get old to prosperity, you can, you can owe no man anything. Amen? You can be above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail. You can lend unto many nations, but you shall not borrow. That's another thing a lot of people don't like, amen? But that's the truth. That's where God wants to put you, is in a position that you don't owe anybody anything except to love one another. 
But there's a lot of people today that are talking about the economic situation. What are we going to do? Inflation. We aren't going to be able to get gas. We aren't going to be able to do this. If you will listen to those cares of this world, and if you will take those thoughts and begin to say them and speak them, you'll find out that it'll choke God's Word. God's Word says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's what God's Word says. But... The cares of this life will say, oh, but look at this economic situation. Nobody's able to get gas. Big deal, amen. My God's going to supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He can make my car run on water if he wants to. Amen. He's going to get me, and if he has to, well, he's done it before. He could translate me from place to place. That'd be all right with me. I'd get there a lot quicker. You see, if you just get single-minded on God's Word, and if a person didn't take into account what the world had to say about it, if they said, God's going to supply my need, and if they had to get from point A to point B, and if they weren't choking God's Word with the cares of this life, they'd get there one way or the other. If God had to zip them from place to place, it'd work. Any of you ever read uh, Like a Mighty Wind by Mel Tari? Anybody? There was a time that these people were told to go to a village and preached to the village, and when they got to this river, it was monsoon season, and they couldn't cross it. It was swollen. There was no way to get across that river. So they didn't know what to do, and they asked a native, and the native says, no way you can get across that river at this time of the year. And so they thought about it a while, and they said, well, God told us to go, so we're going. And that guy said, you can't go, and he said, God told me to go. And so they started walking, and they got up to about the middle of their calves, and they just kept walking. They never did get any lower. They just walked across that water to the other side. And there was crocodiles in there and everything else. And those natives tried to get in and do it, and they like got killed. And you see, those people, they just didn't know any better. God told them to go do something, and they didn't know any better than to believe that God was responsible for getting them there. And so because they didn't allow anything else to come in and choke the Word of God, it worked. Amen? It'll work, brothers and sisters. But you see, this is a problem, is that we let other things enter in and choke the Word. If we would be single-minded on God's Word, and if we would put it preeminent in our life, God's Word would produce for us. It would. God's Word will produce. There's nothing wrong with the seed. God's Word is perfect seed. The Bible calls it incorruptible seed in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. God's Word is perfect and it's pure. And if you see somebody die saying that they're believing for healing, it's not God's Word that missed it. It's the person somewhere. It's the soil. It's the lust of other things. Something choked the Word. Something didn't work. But God's Word works. Amen. And if you will take God's Word and put it in a perfect heart, and if you'll protect it over these things, God's Word has to work. A person that says, I stood on God's Word and it just didn't work, they didn't do it. They may have thought they did, and they may have stood on it to the best of their ability. I'm not knocking that. I know that it's true. We haven't learned everything there is to learn yet. And you may stand on God's Word to the best of your ability, but if the best of your ability wasn't good enough, then you missed something somewhere. God's Word will work when we use it the way that it's supposed to, and there's no exceptions to that. None at all. Amen? And by saying that, I put myself in a bind. Because there's still things that I'm believing for. And, some, and I heard a man not long ago saying, I just can't stand these faith preachers that put thousands of people under condemnation if they aren't experiencing victory in their life. They make them feel condemned, and there's something wrong with their faith instead of letting them know that maybe it's God's will for them not to have this, or maybe it's God's will for them to suffer or something else. Well, man, that's not right. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to show you where the problem is. Pinpoint the problem. 
I'm not trying to condemn anybody by saying it's you that's, that's messed up instead of God. That ought to be a blessing to you. Because if you can find out that you're the problem, well, then you can change you. You can get in God's Word. You can repent. You can do something about you. But if God's the problem, if God's the one that's made you sick, and if God's the one that's not going to answer your prayers, you've had it. Because you can't change God. You can't storm the gates of heaven and change God. So you ought to throw up your hands and say, Praise God, I see it. I blew it. I've missed it. Because if you've missed it, then you can do something about you. But you aren't about to change God. So brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying it to set you free, to let you know the truth. And the truth will set you free. God's Word is incorruptible. God's Word will work when it's planted in your heart. And if it's not working, it's because we are not giving heed to it the way that we're supposed to. You can't just go throw a seed out there. You've got to do a few things with it. You've got to push that thing in the ground so far. It depends on the type of seed, how far it's got to go in. And then you've got to nourish it. You've got to shoo the crows away, amen? You need to put up some scarecrows. And you need to start getting some of the fowls of the air that are stealing away the seed in your heart. You need to start protecting it. And then you've got to water it. And if you see a weed grow up, yank the thing out. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's some things that need to be done with God's Word. God's Word will produce by itself if there was no enemy. But Satan's going to see to it. He's going to come immediately to try and steal away that Word. And because there is an enemy, it won't just work by accident. Just because you're a Christian and just because you're hearing the Word tonight does not mean you're going to have victory. There's going to be people that go out of here and that didn't get a Word. You'll be just like the seed sown by the wayside. And you'll walk out of here and by the time you hit the door you'll be saying, I wonder. What, you know, you'll be wondering about something else. You'll completely forgot everything that we said. There'll be other people that'll rejoice and receive it with gladness and get excited about it tonight. And tomorrow, when you get upset at the job, somebody will come in and you'll throw it away and you'll get discouraged and you'll go to blaspheming somebody with your mouth and running them down and speaking negative. People at the job or something will go to saying, oh, this economy, and you'll jump right in there and start belly aching and moaning with them, and it'll be gone. Then there'll be other people say, no, sir, I'm going to stand for it. And you stand, and maybe you get a little bit of persecution and you fight and hold on to it for a while, but then... You just sit down and you start easing up somewhere and, and Satan comes in with cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches or the lust of something else. Something else begins to occupy your time instead of the Word of God. And so you let something else choke the Word. I'm not trying to make negative confessions on you. I should say, let me rephrase that, that that is possible that some of you all could do that. But I'm going to believe, amen, that everybody's going to take the Word of God, that we're going to get established in it, and that tonight this is going to motivate us on to get rooted and grounded, more established in God's Word than we ever have. The fourth kind of soil is a kind of soil where it says it was good soil, and it didn't happen by accident. Good soil does not happen by accident. All, all soil is potentially good, depending on what you do with it, right? If you'll water um, soil in the Sahara Desert, did you know that the thing will bring forth? That's the truth. If you'll give it enough water and if you'll give it the nourishment, the minerals and things like that that it needs, soil will work. So to be good soil, it didn't just happen by accident. That means that it had been cultivated, that it had been watered, that it had been prepared. 
And this is what you can do. You can't change the Word of God. You can't make the Word of God do anything. God's Word will bring forth fruit of itself, but you can do something about you. You can prepare your heart, and you can grab yourself by your nose, amen, and take yourself from out in front of the TV. You can put yourself in the Word of God. And you can take yourself out of strife. You can quit listening to a bunch of the junk of this world. And just let me share this. Some of you might say, but you don't understand. I'm not a preacher. I work a job where people speak negative, where they're speaking doubt and unbelief all of the time. I'm not like you. I just can't wall myself off from all of the things of this world. Well, I hadn't always been like I am, and I'm still not immune to people trying to cram unbelief down my throat. Like I said, when I was in the Army, when I was in Vietnam... I had all kinds of things happening. But I found out that if you'll take a stand for the Lord, you can stop that junk being set around you. You really can. When I was in Vietnam, and I was in a barracks with 50-something, well, not when I was in Vietnam, but when I was in basic training, Fort Bliss, Texas, and I was in this barracks with, with 50-something guys. They made fun of me. I was called preacher in the group. And they had put me up in front of the group. And then they'd have somebody come up and tell the vilest, dirtiest, filthiest story that they could and they'd stand me up there to see me blush in front of all those guys. They ridiculed me and did all kinds of stuff. But did you know that's what the drill sergeant did? But in my barracks, did you know that I'd witnessed to those guys? And as a result, this guy that slept in a bunk next to me, he was a black man and he was a pimp back in the world. And because the drill sergeant found out that he used to have him a whole group of prostitutes that he ran back in the world, he made him a trainee sergeant and put him over our group simply because he was an ungodly man. He thought that would make him a good person to have rule over it. And I witnessed to him. Turned out his dad was a Southern Baptist preacher, and he had heard the word before, and boy, the Lord convicted him. And anyway, I witnessed to those people there. They didn't all like me, and I'm not saying that everything went just peaches and cream, but I can say this, that there are many, many, many a times I'd walk into that barracks, and those guys would be cussing, and they'd see me, and they'd stop, and they'd say, Oh, I'm sorry. And they'd ask me to forgive them. And those people quit cussing around me. And they quit telling their filth around me. And they quit doing stuff around me. And even though I was still in a situation, God didn't take me out of the army. I was immune from it. And it was really different. And praise God, you can do that on your job. Somebody goes to talking death around you. And if they go to running somebody down and blaspheming them and speaking negative about them, like say, for instance, somebody comes up and goes to, to bad-mouthing President Carter. I don't necessarily like everything President Carter does, but the Bible says that he's a leader of our people, that we're supposed to pray for him. You aren't supposed to curse him with your mouth. Don't speak negative and death about him. People up there saying, all those dummies in Washington. Well, how are they going to ever be anything but dummies if you get spirit-filled believers confessing that they're dummies and you can have what you say? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You need to go to blessing those people instead of cursing them. The Scripture says to pray for them. So if somebody goes to running down President Carter and bad-mouthing all the things he's doing, just turn around and says, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Say, Hadn't you ever read that in the Bible? And then turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and say, Don't you know that it says that, first of all, prayer, supplication, intercessions, giving of thanks are supposed to be made for all men everywhere, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a, lead a godly, quiet, and peaceable life. In all honesty, I messed that up. But anyway, something like that. And if you'll quote that scripture to them, and if you'll say a few things, all oh, they may say something to you, but guess what? They'll quit running him down in front of you. They will. They really will. You'll see some things change. When I was in Vietnam, the, I was a chaplain's assistant. The chaplain got moved out. 
So I was living in this bunker by myself. We got under a real heavy attack, and the, the hill got crowded. They started moving people in from everywhere. So I had a captain and a uh, lieutenant and a warrant officer living in my bunker with me, and I was a PFC. That means I was on the bottom of the rung. And all of these guys were officers, and they let me know it. Boy, I'd spit shine shoes. I, they just treated me like a dog. And one thing I disliked, they played their ungodly music. They got drunk, and they cussed like like army guys is what they did. They cussed just like most of the guys in the army, and it was terrible, and I had to live in there, and I didn't want to put up with that. So one day I prayed about it, and I got me this big old piece of poster board, and I wrote out Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, I think it is. It says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And I put the scripture verse on there. I didn't say a word. I just put it on the wall right when you opened up the bunker door that that's the first thing you saw. I didn't say a word. And guess what? They never said a word to me either. I mean, any word. Nobody ever talked to me again over anything. And I never, one time, one time, I didn't get told to do any boots. I didn't get told to do any of that. And I never heard another cuss word in that bunker. And I lost some friends. They treated me like the dirt. They wouldn't talk to me. You could tell that they was upset. But guess what? I, had, I got to quit listening to that old junk. I didn't have to hear my Lord's name blasphemed every time I turned around. It'll work. If you're willing to stand, it'll work. It's just a matter of how much are you wanting to protect the Word. There is no reason that you have to let God's Word be stolen out of your heart unless you just allow it to be. Nobody can take it by force. And that's the reason Satan's fighting against you with afflictions and persecutions. They're all temptations to get you to dig up the Word. You're the only one that can stop God from working. You're the only creation in heaven or earth or hell that can stop God tonight. Satan came. Satan's been destroyed. Satan doesn't have any rights or privileges against God. But Satan will tempt you and try and make the battle hot enough for you that you withdraw, that you change your confession, that you dig up God's Word and throw it out and say, well, it didn't work, that you get discouraged, that you get offended. Do you all see that? You're the battlefield, and you're going to have to get strong. But if you'll realize that it says that if it's good ground, that means that if you do not have a hard heart, and if you let the Word get rooted and grounded in you, if you will fight against afflictions and persecutions, and if you will not let the lust of other things enter in and choke the Word, brothers and sisters, the Word of God will produce some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And I'm convinced that the reason it says some 30, some 60, and some 100 is not the fact that God's Word works better in some people than in others. It's the fact that some people just take it and commit themselves to it better than others. Even in good ground, even in people that are receiving, you can commit yourself totally to it. You can commit yourself half-heartedly to it or whatever. You can receive as much from God as you can believe for. And there is nobody that's bankrupting God. There's nobody that's asked too much of God. The truth of the matter is that we got a, such a small impression of our God. we got such a small God that we think we're taxing Him if we ask Him for you know, healing two days in a row or something like that. Lord, I know I've asked for a lot. You need to get to seeing how big your God is. You need to go to believing God for something big. Amen. We, ask like our, we act like our God is, is puny and unable to provide. That's not the truth. He's still got all of His reserves. You can't out-believe God. So if we'd commit ourselves totally to it, we could begin to see total results. Amen? I believe that. Let's stand up and have a word of prayer. And then I'd like to minister to anybody here tonight that has needs. 
We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.